1: or other financial instruments, whatsoever, and uh, we have a kick ass media partner, Blockchain Radio, where the audio basically circulates onto uh, their network after this. And you can also find the recording on our YouTube channel, uh, Draper Gordon Holmes YouTube channel. And uh, today's topic is a very big one, a very important one, as it's creeping up, uh, if I'm not mistaken, in December. Uh, and we're talking about Ethereum 2.0, right? Uh, before we dive in, I kind of want to have everyone introduce themselves. Austin, let's start with you. We'll go to Douglas, Shaley, and Taylor. Uh, you're muted.
2: Of course, I just muted myself to start talking. Um, yeah, so I'm Austin Roberts. I am the uh, CEO and technical co-founder at Open Relay. We build uh, blockchain infrastructure. So we started off with... Uh, an open source zero x relayer, and we have moved on to uh, building uh, an Ethereum gateway that uh, based on entirely open source tech for uh, scaling up and building uh, operationally manageable Ethereum infrastructure. So that's me.
1: Awesome. And just uh, as a disclaimer, Draper Gornholm is uh, an investor in Rivet, so just to put that out there. Um, Douglas, go ahead, take the stage. Hey, how's it going? My name is Douglas Horn. Uh, I'm a longtime
0: developer in the blockchain space um for the past two years. Um, uh, my main focus has been on Telos, which is uh Satoshi model launched, um Mainnet that launched in uh 2018. For the past six or eight months, it's been the number two um blockchain in the world in terms of uh transactions per day uh on blocktivity and um, we have a lot of great things no one's really heard of us um but i'm very excited about the transition to, e- to ethereum 2.0 i've never been a uh you know ethereum killer type thing i think there's a lot of blockchain space so i'm excited about talking about how all these things can work together and uh, build a really cool future
1: awesome thanks for being here shaley
3: hi everyone shaley adenalfi i'm with uh consensus i do business development uh globally do a lot of work on central bank digital currencies um you know digital assets both on the institutional side and the defi side a little bit more on institutional um have been in the blockchain space for 4 years now mainly doing um advisory and business development i'm looking forward to the conversation
1: so and last but not least taylor go ahead take the stage
3: hello
4: uh my name is taylor monahan i am the founder and ceo of micro i have been building wallet things for ethereum since ethereum launched in 2015. um yeah and i think that i am just most personally interested in looking at the space from the user's perspective and understanding where those challenges are Uh, i have lived it um you know like front and center uh, I'm I'm wildly aware of how many things that can go wrong, and I love to talk about you know the exciting things that are coming up in the future and how we can make sure that everyone is as safe as possible.
1: Awesome. Well, we have a really kick-ass panel tonight. Everyone, each in their own respective domain expertise. Um, so Ethereum 2.0 is on the horizon. It's why we're all here uh, and obviously to kind of better what's in store right now for Ethereum. So I kind of just want to, I want to start from the, from the basics. Okay. What, what's going on with Ethereum 1.0, right? I don't know if that's the official term, but Ethereum right now that's requiring the, the upgrade of Ethereum 2.0. And I kind of, I'm just throwing this question out there. Uh, and I'm hoping someone can kind of take us through like the pitfalls of Ethereum right now that uh, Ethereum 2.0 aims to kind of tackle.
0: Sure, um, I'll take a stab at it, and then everyone can correct my mistakes. So, um, Ethereum is a proof of work uh, blockchain launched in 2015. Um, there is—I've uh, been mining it almost that long, so I'm, I'm pre- so I'm pretty uh, aware of what the what the issues are there. Um, there's a maximum capacity essentially on Ethereum currently. Uh, the ETH one blockchain of about 1.3 to 1.4 million transactions per day. Beyond that, it just doesn't get, it just doesn't go anywhere. And what happens when you reach that capacity is you get backups in the mempool, which is, which holds un, you know, unprocessed transactions. You get, um there's an ability to sort of pay to play, to jump in line in front of others with higher gas prices, which is, um, is you know a problem when you look at like financial transactions and things like that and so for a long time from the very beginning really um ethereum knew that they had to migrate past this um it's uh it's it's a big project right and they have to basically migrate they have to fix the plane rebuild the airplane while it's in flight so um so the plan for since about as i recall around april 2016 was to um to move to this eth2 eth2 platform, which would be a sharded black platform, which means that there would be a number of, of different shards. Um, each would be its own blockchain, um, and it would have a little bit more it would have more capacity, about nine times the capacity of the current blockchain um, because the blocks would be larger. And they would all be bound to this sort of central blockchain called the um, beacon chain. And that whole thing is called Casper. And it has three phases, phase zero, phase one and phase two. Phase zero is what we're just entering now. Phase zero is really sort of like just tuning it up, making sure everything works, putting uh, investing um, ETH from phase one, or, or from ETH one onto, onto the blockchain, at which point, at some point you can unlock phase one where we actually are using the ETH two. And then phase two uh, adds the sharding and also the EWASM. So it's a it's a expansion of, of capacity uh, that's going to, I know there's a lot of words and we can talk about whatever people want. Um, but, uh, basically big picture, it, it, it makes it bigger, faster, stronger, but much like the, uh, coronavirus vaccine that we're all super excited about, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a lag between when you, when you, when these developments come out and when they actually start having a positive impact on people's life.
1: I love it. And, and, uh, Douglas, you mentioned how we're basically trying to upgrade a plane that's mid-flight. I think that's, a, I think that's a really good way of putting it. Shaylee, do you know how many people are actually contributing and in, in trying to I guess, put together this, this grandiose show of ETH 2.0? Uh, I guess within, um, the, within the Ethereum Foundation, individual contributors, is there a number?
3: Well, I don't know what the number is, but we have at least 60 people, I believe, as a part of the Pegasus um, protocol engineering team at consensus, working on this, this guy, Ben Eggington, he's amazing, he's doing a lot of the, he's the leader of the, the Pegasus team. Um, and he should have been on this panel, so I apologize uh, that he wasn't able to do this. But he, um, th- there's that team, then there's the um, Prism Labs, uh, or sorry, uh, Prism- Prismatic Labs or something like that. They have a team called Prism, then there's Lodestar, um, and then there's Lighthouse and they all, we all contributed along with Pegasus. There were four teams that worked on Madala, which is kind of what's happening here with phase zero. And um, there were, I think like 650,000 ether and 20,000 validators that were involved in the Madala like test before phase one starts. Um, and, and you can look, up what's happening with Madala. Uh, I think so far it's going well. I mean, I don't know what the what the issues are there, but, but I guess going back to your question, issues with ETH1 are gas prices, congestion, sustainability from like a energy consumption standpoint. And so even in the early phases of phase one, the, the early stages, I guess, we're supposed to see a lot more efficiency in transaction times and energy consumption. So that's gonna be a huge win. Um, and also, I mean, I guess what's happening on ETH-1 is that like what's happening in Quorum and and I hate to take up so much time, but Ethereum, the, um, the private Ethereum uh, work that's happening has been extraordinary on the institutional side. And it took time to get institutional players to understand the um, value of main net. And now that a lot of them see it um, and they see that the congestion at, with eth two, like the improvements that are being made, I think there's gonna, we're gonna see just an explosion of activity once that happens. So next year is gonna be a fantastic year for us.
1: To you nodding your head, do you wanna, you wanna add to that?
4: I think everyone's brought up some like really great points I also want to just like one super small thing is that when uh like before Ethereum launched to that Vitalik got on stage and made to all of us in like the 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 darkest part of the bear run of 2013-2014 was proof of stake like that was a huge selling point and it was more than just like Casper and sharding and like words, right? It was more about the fact that we have Bitcoin. Here's what Bitcoin does. Here's what Bitcoin does well. And here is this level up. And I think a lot of people saw it as not just another coin or not just another network, but truly like an evolution in, in blockchain technology. Um, and so fast forward, it's now 2020, um, you know, and we're still making our way towards that goal. There's been a lot of hiccups along the way, obviously. Um, but you know, what is being built is, I mean, like for me at least, <laughs> when I was first learning about Proof of State back in the day, what it promised was huge, right? Uh, of course it's gonna take longer than expected to get it right. And that's especially true when Ethereum as a network and as a, as a coin, Uh, have grown in value so much. Like we need to be uber careful as we move forward. Yeah,
1: so you you name dropped this uh, buzzword, proof of stake, right? Uh, While a lot of people already know what proof of stake is, what proof of work is. uh, For those who don't understand, because this is going to be circulated to many, many other people, right? Kind of take me through uh, why Ethereum 2.0 is moving more towards a proof of stake and ditching the whole proof of work uh, model behind.
4: So I think the simplest explanation that I can give, and maybe someone else wants to get super technical and follow up, but at the most basic form, Bitcoin is proof of work. It means that you expend energy and that secures the network, right? If someone would want to like literally hack the Bitcoin network, they would have to expend so much energy that it wouldn't be cost effective to do it, right? They would have to spend more energy than they would make in the hypothetical stolen bitcoin. So that's how that's where we are right now. And then over the past few years we've seen some sort of alternatives come out. There's a lot of like things, just a lot of words, right? Proof of stake as I guess Vitalik and Ethereum 2.0, as Vitalik saw and as Ethereum 2.0 is is going for, is instead of expending energy, like instead of like putting your work where your mouth is, you're gonna basically put your money where your mouth is and so instead of securing the network with work you're going to secure the network with money which kind of makes sense because the only reason work secures the network or energy secures the network is because energy costs money so we're just going to skip over that that energy expending bit of it um and then obviously maybe someone wants to dive into this but uh theoretically there's a lot of like reasons proof of stake is harder than proof of work. And there's a reason we didn't start by just securing a network with money.
1: Got gotcha. you. Anybody want to kind of contribute to that?
2: I mean, I can add a few notes. I'm yeah. maybe not the most qualified here to talk about it, but you know, one of the fundamental challenges of uh, starting out with proof of stake is how do you have that monetary value to begin with, right? So with proof of work, anybody can buy a graphics card. So you have this or 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 maybe now you need Asics and some of the the proof of work blockchains, but you know anybody can go out and they can get this hardware and they can get involved and they can start mining the 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 coin and you don't need anything from anybody already involved in the network in order to get started with proof of stake you know if if you were trying to bootstrap a proof of stake network, where does the value of this this token? come from. And, and you know, if you start off by creating a whole bunch of it so that you can have enough people who have stakes, um, then anybody who wants to get in and join this proof of stake network has to do so by buying it from the people who already have a stake. And the people who already have a stake have to give up some of their stake in order to get in. So you know, starting out with proof of work and then transitioning to proof of stake, I, I think makes a whole lot of sense for a project like Ethereum where um you're not necessarily you you can handle that initial distribution of the currency and, and with you know essentially this permissionless way in where you don't have to get anything from anybody who's already involved in the network um to the point where you know right now ethereum is so widely distributed that anybody can you know get it without having to you know worm their way into this select group of people who have the thing that you need to get started, right? Um, the, the, you know, there, there are certainly plenty of other technical challenges. How do you identify, uh, so, so one of the things with proof of stake and you're, you're securing it with your money. So that, I mean, that means you put down a financial stake and if you cheat in one way or another, that gets slashed. So then you gotta be able to define all the ways that people can cheat in a much more thorough manner than you do with proof of work. So with with proof of work, um, if if, if you cheat, people reject the block, um, you move on, except that there's some ways that you can cheat where like if you went back several blocks and you had enough hashing power to recreate several of the blocks and remove one of the transactions that you wanted to undo, that's valid under proof of work. And, you know, we've seen that in in like the Ethereum classic blockchain, you know, they've been dealing with, uh, uh, you know, back in July and August, they dealt with several, uh, uh, what they call 51% attacks, where an attacker literally came in with more hashing power than the entire rest of the network put together, and they undid some stuff. So you got to come up with all the different ways in proof of stake, you know, there's this concept of, you know, absolute finality, where there's this point where you cannot go back further than this, Um, and and that's great, but that means you've got to come up with all the possible ways that somebody can cheat if you're going to, you know, be able to prove that they cheated and slash their stake because they cheated, Um, and, and you know that's really where a lot of the complexity comes from is not just how do you do the initial distribution in a way that's fair and you know doesn't require you know kind of a permission to entry where you get something from the people who are already a part of this system but but also you have to be very very thorough and make sure you you really understand all the ways that people can try to cheat
0: got you You, you, can i can i add something i think uh, that we we should be aware that each one of these, there are three major ways that that blockchains, modern blockchains, are secured: proof of work, proof of stake, and delegated proof of stake. And each one of these has its strengths and its weaknesses. Um, proof of work is extremely strong if you're the dominant chain. If you are not the dominant chain, then there's a massive amount of of proof of work uh, uh, power, hash power available that can can be you know, used to like you know basically undo other chains, you know, lower down the down the um uh down the uh you know the value the value ladder, right? And so and so what's what you see is at some point it becomes, you know, it's most people who are not going to be mining Bitcoin SV or something like that with their with their ASICs. Um May want to, you know, rent a bunch of hash power and to to do a to a quick fifty-one percent attack and and you know double spend some some tokens, right? That's a that's a weakness of proof of work. Proof of stake has its own weaknesses, right? The the basic idea is that people have so much buy-in that they are not going to sabotage the the chain because it destroys the value themselves. There's wish, there's that's not entirely proven. For example, like you mentioned, Austin, I mean. <laughs> um, you know ethereum classic has been has been hack, has been 51%ed many times so is like digibyte and and some of these others and um and uh not digibyte um verge and um but there's others and they still exist right so this idea that that um sabotage in the network for for short term value is is pr- fully protected by proof of stake is not necessarily true um proof of, but 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 proof of stake has a huge energy and uh uh, improvement over massive over um, over proof of work, right? Which is which is something that I think people are. It's going to be an imp- impediment to to um, global adoption at some point, right? And then you've got um, with proof of stake. You also have the idea that every staking node has to have the the computing capacity to run every t- contract on the network, right? Or at least on its shard of the network. So that mean that means that. Um, that you know you're limited by the lowest powered computer which is currently the spec is about an i5 right now you know um that is going to that has mani- decided to stake 32 eth right so um so that's a that's a weakness and and you know a delegated proof of stake takes that to a different step where um you where certain certain nodes or high performance nodes are selected and uh, and chosen. Right. So there's three basic ways to do it. They all have their strengths. They all have their weaknesses. I think it's a natural progression um, tw- from it's a natural progression from proof of work to proof of stake and maybe maybe beyond. But um if you're the leader in each one, you're pretty safe. Like block, like Bitcoin doesn't really have much to do, much to worry about about the the the, the weaknesses of proof of work because it's always the dominant value chain. Um, others do and should be moving past it. And I don't know if I, Ethereum value is so high that I don't know if it makes it if it makes it safe or if it makes it a target. Probably both at different times. But I think that that's something that people don't talk about um, that they that they probably should. Got you
1: now just kind of diving deeper into the proof of stake rabbit hole right is there any way to earn staking rewards without committing a minimum of 32 eth right is there any way to do that and like i guess the sub question is why 32 ETH? why minimum What? where do we get 32 from well i think the biggest the biggest question is is
0: you know coming out of that is will people do it right because um, what you didn't mention, Adam, is that those are locked up until um, phase one launches, which could be people are expecting two years, but nobody knows. And there there could be a doldrums area where, you know, a lot have come in, they've been locked, but not enough have come in. And people would rather hold that liquidity, be able to sell it, be able to you know, engage in DeFi, be able to do a lot of things that just draws out the, um, you know, um, the parameter is called Minimum Genesis Validator Active Count. Um, the number of of nodes, you know, in that have to be staking 32. I'm not exactly sure when it's, why it's 32. Maybe it's, you know, one half ETH per, per shard. I, I don't know where that, I don't recall where that came Does from. Does anyone know why 32? Anybody uh, in the
4: audience? I,
3: um, ben told me the response to this, but I don't actually remember, but I can get back to you all. I'm gonna say it's fancy
4: math and research and, and yeah. models and systems because it used yeah. to be a thousand back in the day it was a thousand yeah, yeah they
0: dropped there's no there's no set mathematics, you know it's a somebody chose and somebody and, and a group of people said sounds good you know and like yeah. Taylor says yeah it used to be a lot higher um, a higher amount like but I think these all grow out of a tradition of you know we see something like a you know the master nodes were were basically you know like dash Darknet, um and then a lot that that sort of copied it um those were those were a sort of a mixed proof of work proof proof of stake model I think whether they want to admit it a lot or not you know if the ethereum developers had a chance to learn a lot in a real world deployment like that. Um, so that was always like, you had to have a thousand dash to have a, to have a master node. but there's no, there's, it's just a, it's just a picking of a number that seems to work. And, and if thousand doesn't work, um, then they do drop it. <laughs> so it's probably arbitrary to some point, but they yeah. want to have a minimum amount that you're not going to, that you're going to be really engaged, right? People are probably not going to do one. Heath. That's probably too little.
2: Yeah. And and Adam to, to your other question of you know if you don't have thirty two Ether, you want to make a smaller investment, there there are options out there like Rocket Pool, uh that where you can pitch into a pool of, of stakers who are going to you know collectively stake a unit. And and I I've, I've actually been looking into Rocket Pool uh recently because I think you know there's there's a possibility that Rivet might get into to staking there. Um but uh it, you know, it, it, essentially the way that works is you've got to have a, uh, node operator. They have to bring half the stake to the table. So if they cheat, that comes out of their stake. And then you've got, uh, a bunch of other people who can bring much smaller units to the table. And I don't even know if there's a minimum at Rocket Pool, uh, where you, you bring, bring that in and you essentially, you, you provide a certain amount of ETH that goes into, um, some, Node operators, uh, pool and they stake your ETH. You get part of the reward. There's going to be kind of a marketplace of, you know, depending on how much is available in order to start new nodes and how many people are, are there wanting to bring the, the, the 16 ETH to, to the table to start the node. Um, you know, so, so how much of a percentage of, uh, your, the, the yield of the, the, the earnings uh, go to the node operator versus the other people who have brought ETH to the table will, will be variable. Uh, but then that that also to the point that Douglas raised, um, the the rocket pool is tokenizing the ETH that people put into the the pool. So if you don't want to be in there for, you know, the next two years before you're able to get it out in phase three or whatever, um, then if you've gone through something like Rocket Pool, your your reward is tokenized, and you're not going to be able to convert it back to ETH, but you might be able to sell it to somebody else who wants to get in, um, and, and get most of your stake back, maybe not all of it.
1: Interesting. Uh, I kind of want to pivot. We've we've gone into a really deep rabbit hole and <laughs> <laughs> um,
4: Taylor,
1: this one I kind of want to target at you directly. So. You mentioned behind the scenes when Crypto Twitter discovered Vitalik's contract address, right? He just uh, launched the first validator, right? Um, that it concerns you because you don't think people really understand what's going on whatsoever. Talk to me kind of through your concerns and why it's very different than even a high-risk hot mess DeFi thing, as as I am quoting you directly. Take me through your thought process on that.
4: <laughs> you are quoting it. Um, so yeah um, to start so okay so I think the first thing we should establish is that right now if you have any amount of ETH well if you have greater than 32 ETH you can go and spin up a validator and do the things that you need to do it's not very easy but you can and 32 ETH into this contract uh and then uh complicated stuff but like in a month or so most likely you will then start earning rewards on that however um you don't get those rewards on ETH one you get those rewards in the future so it's almost like you the best way i can describe it is like if the bank offered you a super special bank account where you put your money in, but you can't take it out whatsoever, and that bank account has a, like a super high interest rate. However, uh, there's some things that make it very different than a bank. Number one is that uh, you really can't get it out. Like I think most bank accounts and most things in life even, uh, there's never like a, like a hard line in the sand right like you can always do something to recover to undo you can sue someone you can go hit them with a baseball bat like there's things you can do uh and with this like no there's really no way to get it back out the other thing is that we don't actually know what the uh quote-unquote interest or yield will be on this because it's variable depending on uh sort of the state of the network and what that means is that you cannot make an informed decision, like a truly informed decision uh, at the level that I think a normal uh, like investor type would or a normal person would making an investment of this size. Right? You want to consider things like but you don't want to just like throw uh, $10,000 or $20,000 into a hole and be like, well, uh, maybe I'll come back in a few years and maybe I'll get it out and maybe it'll be worth more. You know, like you want to have a little bit more diligence right. than that. Um, hopefully, I don't know, maybe you guys are crazy, this is crypto, but um, ideally, you know, you want to kind of analyze things like, okay, if this is going to earn me, say, like, a, like say 5% a year, is that worth it? What are the considerations? And for every single person, it's going to be different because, you know, some people value that liquidity a lot more, uh, like myself. Uh, a few years back, when I was living month to month, liquidity was my the most important thing to me because uh, I was living month to month. If any of my money was locked up, that would mean that like I didn't eat, or I ate ramen every single night for weeks.
1: Or the pink drink, that so much.
4: If they do have a large amount of assets, <laughs> uh, for people who do have assets, that liquidity may not be as important though. So there's just all of these just so many different factors and so many different things that, that apply to each individual that it's really hard to make an informed decision. And in my opinion, I don't think that anyone can make an informed decision. Yeah, right I now.
3: do think, I think this you is why. You
4: know?
1: Go ahead, Shaylee, I see you nodding your head a lot.
3: Oh, yeah. I was gonna say, I, I think that's why institu- like the, the um, exchanges like are going to be the ones to do a lot of the thinking, right? It's exchanges, the people that have been in the ecosystem for a long time, some of those early investors, um, people working in in the industry who really understand what's happening, what's what the pipeline is of like potential projects. Uh, it's it's really the ecosystem actors that are going to be doubling down, probably, and um, and then thinking about how to to make it. How to to play with that liquidity for individuals, right? So so if you are going to be, and I would love to hear from Rocket Pool on this, but um, you know if you are offering that staking pool, then what are you doing to to like what is? I actually haven't looked into Rocket Pool, although I've heard about it. How is that going to look down the line? Like what does what liquidity look like like for um, some of those users like a year from now? Um, yeah, I think things are going to evolve, but in the from the outset, uh it will be just like the the old guard, like someone said in the chat, investing into this.
1: Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Douglas.
0: I think that uh, like like uh Shaylee and and Taylor both said the pure, purely deciding on the um on the monetary income, the monetary, you know, Peace is not really why people are going to do it. So you really need to look at why. What are the advantages for people to get in early, right? And one of them is the true believer thing. You want, you know, um, Vitalik put in 1.4 million. It's it's a probably a much smaller part of of his um, you know his net worth And, you know he's probably not having to eat ramen to to do that. Um, <laughs> but um, so so it's a small thing for him but you know for other people you got to remember the way this is actually going to work is there's going to be these shards right and i'd love to talk about this more these shards everyone thinks it's just going to be a massive big ethereum 2.0 that's going to be it's going to be great and operate just like current the eth 1.0 but but bigger but that's not true each of these shards is going to be at the very least you know you're not going to be able to compose between them so Me, at least on a, on a, but over several transactions. Uh, currently, well, so what I, maybe, I mean, I'm here to learn just as much, way more than I am to talk, but my understanding is that the, that the, um, that the, uh, the cross, the, the, you know, sorry, the, um the the merkle trees the, the hashes that are basically you know uh moving everything to the you know recording everything from all the shards onto the onto the beacon network are are on a per on a per block basis so yeah, i wouldn't be able to compose let's say um a defi transaction that does some kind of instant you know flash loan on one chain and then takes advantage of, an, of a of a you know of a defi you know op- opportunity on another chain and then p- and pays that back. It, it would it would not be able to close within one transaction. So, I think you're probably going to get different shards. You know, you're going to have your financial di- you're going to have your Wall Street shard and your Atlantic City shard and your Vegas shard and your, you know, and your um these things are going to have their own value. So, getting in early, getting that foothold um is going to be a way to, you know, possibly um you know, plant a flag in the ground on some of these shards and the validators who are who are doing the DeFi shard probably are going to make more income than the validators who are doing, you know, lesser, you know, less popular shards. And that popularity is because you can do the composability across all of them. Um, I could be wrong, but I think I think what's going to drive people is the fact they really want to see this succeed. And they want to plant a flag in the ground for what this could become later, not not really looking at whether they're going to make 5% or 10% as a, as a primary driver.
2: Right. And, and, you know, I'll, I'll say for myself, I, I'm one of those true believers more or less. And, you know, I, I bought into the, uh, original Ethereum token sale, uh, you know, back in 2014 when it was, you know, buy it with Bitcoin and, you know, it, it might. <laughs> uh, I got in at like 28 cents or something. I, I don't know. Um, but,
1: uh, then rub it in, man. It in. Yeah,
2: my, my biggest one of my biggest regrets in life was that I bought twenty five dollars worth and I sold half of it when ETH got to seven dollars. Um, so, uh, but, but, but you know, I, I've got enough ETH that I can stake a stake a shard, or not stake a shard, but y- y- you know, I, I, I can get in one of those thirty two ETH stakes, and and I will. Um, you know, maybe not right out of the gate because I got to find the time to figure out how to make sure I'm going to manage my node right and and all of that. And by the time I've gone that far, I'll probably become a rocket pool validator and stake as many as I can. Um, you, Austin, to can make I, you did it.
4: <laughs> can I just point out that both you, Austin, and Peter from Gath are like, I would classify both of you as technical people who are totally capable of running your own validators. And yet neither of you are already running your own validators and are like, ah, I don't know if I will, I'll probably take the easy route. And then yeah, everyone who's like, totally not actually capable of running their validators are like, running oh,
0: running yeah, it right, Yeah, right. It's, it's, and, it's, and, I are uh, right. overestimating how the difficulty really I, I do intend to run my own validators. If I go to Rocket Pool,
2: I will be bringing the 16 East to the table and and, and acting as a validator for, for other people too. But that, I mean, that ostensibly means that I get to take a, a cut of the other people who are bringing part of the shares, and maybe I end up taking a little bit more. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I have the, the technical capability. You know, I run a node gateway service. I can figure out how to do this right. Um, but, but, it, and, and, you know, to, to, to one of the other points is, um, yeah, there, yeah, there's a lot of people out there running, um, or, or, you know, who, who have essentially committed to staking, but haven't actually figured out how to, you know, run a validator yet, uh, you know, which is a concern. And, and from, from my perspective as a guy who runs a company that runs an Ethereum gateway, runs a bunch of nodes, able to scale up to deal with whatever, uh, volume I need, uh, you know, I, I, I'm concerned that that from my look at the Ethereum ETH 2 nodes that are out there right now, I don't see one that looks enterprise ready. You know, like in, in my mind, if you're you got to keep your your node on all the time in order to keep uh, keep earning at, on a regular basis, but at the same time, if you're running two copies of your node, then you end up signing two messages that end up looking like cheating and you can get slashed. Mm. And if you were going to, you know, avoid both of those situations where you could have both redundancy and make sure that you're never going to sign two messages and end up getting slashed, you'd need something like a Raft consensus layer and none of the clients have
0: that. No, no, um, no, I, I can tell, I mean, yes. I think the big, big, big picture people are seeing here is it seems very technical. I can tell you so I I ran nodes full time BP nodes on both EOS and Telos and I've been doing it for 2 years on Telos. All those are solved problems. Like how we how we make sure that we don't that we have backups that can instantly switch over but never but never double sign with two signing keys. It's very solvable. All those problems are out there and 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 it's just linking together enough GitHub pages. Also, the problem of being able to put out nodes that are, you know, these are going to be droplets. These are going to be a droplet on, you know, on a number of services and you just do a Docker container. It's going to be simple. Now, the reality is there are going to be a lot of people who, no matter how simple it is, don't do it. And so there's a a space here, just like when you had when masternodes, I don't even know if those are really a big thing anymore. But when they were really big in 2017 or whatever, it was just like basically copy pasta, a different different masternode coin. Um, there were, there were, you know, third party services that would just, they'll just run it. It's, it's pretty easy. That's not going to be an impediment. People will define, will discover those or, or run those. And none of those, none of those technical, you know, the, the technical problem of running like Telos block producer node is, is probably about a hundred times higher than the technical standard for running a, running a, um, uh, Uh, 82 node and we have we have over 50 operators doing it and we've never and the chain has never paused so that's not going to be a long term problem. Um, But but yeah I mean it's an opera great opportunity for people who run these services to just make it make it push button and that's what will happen.
1: Let's kind of move on Uh, we're already in the enterprise kind of things and I wanted to dive into that so Austin thanks for bringing it up. so how do you guys kind of see the rise of DeFi? Have you seen it play kind of a significant role uh, in terms of how enterprises have been or have been considering adopting uh, Ethereum, ETH 2.0, the different products that are being built on top of Ethereum? Shaley, I see you nodding your head. How, how do you guys kind of view that within consensus?
3: Yeah, we're calling it the defi C5 bridge that's starting to um, get stronger and stronger. Um, I do think like what's happening is DeFi is is like innovating so rapidly and they're growing and they're they're all like, when can we have ETH2? We need to hurry up and have ETH2. Should we just wait and build on ETH2? Should we? I mean, they're they're literally just, you know, begging for it. And then um, you know, we we uh and then the institutional players, you know, because of lack of returns in traditional investments due to covid are also looking at defi as another way to make money you know um so i think there are a lot of different factors that have been causing this kind of this defi c5 bridge I, I see some people are are also talking about that but i i think um there there's they've pushed uh the institutions to to invest
1: yeah, uh, Austin, how do you kind of see the enterprise side of things? I know you kind of dove into it uh, very briefly, but in terms of Ethereum 2.0 and how enterprises are kind of viewing it as a, as a wheelhouse for adoption, do you see it as something being integrated in the future with with large businesses, large companies? How how do you guys kind of view that at Rivet?
2: Um... Yeah, so, so I mean, potentially, yeah, I mean, I, I think there, there's certainly a lot of businesses out there that couldn't plausibly do something with, uh, Ethereum right now that hopefully with the, the scale that gets brought to the table with ETH 2.0, uh, it, it'll be a lot more feasible for businesses to say, oh yeah, blockchain, you know, that, that's a viable solution for me. And then, you know, we're just going to incorporate with, uh, ETH 2.0 over here because it's got the, the throughput to support us. Um, but, uh, you you know as i was getting at earlier you know the it, it, it may be easy enough for for users to come to the table and uh you know if if you're staking a node i i think i heard recently that you've got to have like 60% uptime in order to be profitable with running a validator and that's that's nothing uh and so yeah i'm sure there will be plenty of of people uh able to run a a node with you know 90 95 99% uptime but you know when you're at an enterprise you're looking at five nines uptime. And, um, you know, I'm it, five nines uptime is incredibly difficult to get from, uh, you know, any kind of blockchain infrastructure. And, and um, you know, it, it, at Rivet, we offer three nines, we're getting ready to offer three and a half nines uh, in, in a couple of weeks when we go multi-region. But uh, it's, uh, you know, being able to get the levels of uptime, you know, I, I think, I, I, I don't know that I see a an E 2.0 client that's got really a path to to being able to offer that with a, you know, high consistency, high availability, uh, all of that. You, you know, at, at Rivet, we kind of reconstructed gas in order to be able to. Have what we considered to be an enterprise-ready client, so that we could offer the high uptime that we needed for our own project at Open Relay, and then we went on to offer our customers. Um, but uh, you know, it, it, it'll be interesting. You know, it's certainly right out of the gate, um, it, you know, with when, when the Beacon Chain launches in a month or two, um, uh, you know, it, it shouldn't be that hard to to run what you need to keep up with that. Uh, but as things scale, it will be interesting to see how people rise to those challenges and and figure out how to, uh, meet the demands of ETH 2.0 and an enterprise ready, you know, with enterprise ready clients.
1: Yeah. clearly, how do you guys kind of view, uh, working with enterprises from the quorum side of things? Right. And have you guys already started pitching Ethereum 2.0 to your clients? What do they think about it? Are they worried? Are they scared? Are they excited? Like what, what's. What's kind of like the point of view?
3: Yeah, at the enterprise level, I think there's a lot of like learning from the Pegasus uh, engineers and just like, what are the different phases? What do they include? What are kind of the design um, challenges, risks, um, you know, because you're looking at, they're all, they're all looking at like the resilience of and the security, the longevity, the simplicity—all of those factors, quantum resistance—you know, these things are all kind of like questions that enterprises have about ETH 2.0. But they are feeling good about where the community is going. But they're—they're not—they're still learning. We're all still learning. We don't know what's going to happen. You know, it's—it's. It's, we'll see. But um, for transactions per second, I know that there are. They think that there will be a um, hundred thousand um, transactions per second with um, rollups technology. So that's been a promising sign, and that we've we've tested um, some some rollups with promising signs, not at that level yet, um, but definitely getting there. And, and um, that's that's a big thing too, right? Scalability, privacy, security, all like very very important things. So until they start to see proof of that in ETH 2, they're gonna stick to private permission chains. But I think eventually settlement will happen on ETH 2. I mean, that's the goal, we'll see.
1: Awesome, I know we only have a few more minutes left, so I kinda wanna dive into the QA and give the audience a little uh, time to ask you guys questions. So the highest upvoted question right now is, what's gonna happen to ETH Classic once 2.0 is out? Ethereum Classic, as yeah.
2: in, as in you know, the, the chain that forked off you know, a long time ago. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I, I guess I, I've worked with that team fairly extensively on several occasions. Um, their plan is pretty much to stay the course. They're going to uh, uh, you know, stay with yeah e- e- Ethereum Classic in its current form, stay proof of work um not necessarily try to scale to you know the hundred thousand transactions per second that ETH 2.0 is looking at um you know there, there there might be somebody else who comes along with uh i i guess similar principles to what the east 2.0 team uh b- brings to the table who does something similar to or sorry similar to what the ethereum classic team brings to the table uh, that tries to do something similar with proof of stake and, and ETH 2.0, but uh, it, it's not going to be the Ethereum Classic team.
1: Okay. So I guess another another add-on to that is, do you guys anticipate, and this is another uh, question from the audience, do you guys anticipate another Ethereum fork as ETH transitions to ETH 2.0? Taylor, i nodding your head. Yeah.
4: Yeah. I wouldn't call it a fork though, really, because we're like, it's like we're, we're running two chains at the same time but one isn't actually running yet but you can have it maybe in the future but you can't um it'll be very interesting to see eth2 exists between now and when eth2 is like fully realized and operable because um there are i mean i can speculate all day on like what people certain players in the space may do but I do know that if there is free money, hypothetically available on the table, some party somewhere will for sure make that free money appear and take it of themselves. And, and,
2: and, and, and I would not be at all surprised if, you know, th- there's a, a bunch of miners out there who have yeah. this hardware that's not going to be at all useful for in, in the proof of stake world. Uh, you know, they might move on to other chains or they might decide, you yeah, know, we're just going to keep this ethereum thing going proof of work even as it migrates to, to ethereum or you know to, to proof of stake um you know they're going to keep the proof of work version going and then there's the proof of stake version um i, I would not be at all surprised to see that i you know I, i'm not saying it's going to happen but it, it certainly wouldn't shock me
4: yeah i think that in theory there's like this idea that like there's going to be a moment in time where like the, the switch is flipped and like ethereum as we know it now becomes eth2 therefore that's ethereum but i just don't really see that happening because we're talking about getting to the next phase of upgrades is going to be minimum two years and then there's you know we have to figure out the sharding and then we have to bring the shards together and then we have to make sure that's all operable and then i think the theory is right now that current eth chain that we're on will then become one of the shards of E. 2 I think that's what the plan is but that's like I don't know this is crypto I don't I don't predict things six years out like I don't <laughs> if you tell me that's gonna happen in six years I'm gonna laugh so <laughs> I think that there's not gonna be a moment in time where we flip and therefore there's not gonna be a moment in time where like everyone declares Ethereum today's Ethereum like dead everyone like move E. 2 you're all done like I think they're just gonna kind of continue to exist. Yeah, ETH um, one is
0: gonna continue to the exist closest the whole sort system, of right. It, there's no plan to there's no plan to sunset yeah, yeah. ETH one. Yeah. Right. But I, I did have
2: the impression that there was a point where ETH exactly. one intended to uh, you know switch over to ETH two basically as its consensus layer. Um,
0: I think that's that's a foggy right. distant. That's, right which, i, don't, I you know, you look at what's happening on Bitcoin Cash right now, and there's basically a sort of a miner-led, you know, um, uh, you know, fork or uh, determine, you know, to 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 try not to have to pay some, you know, dev fee to one guy, right? So, um, so I think this it's very you, you, when you have the miners who are actually in control of of ETH one, um, it's not surprising uh, it, that they would. Um, you know, try to hold on to that power or try to, like, you know, like Taylor says, you know, grab grab some cash while they can. I think, that, I think that the thing that really hasn't been, we haven't really kind of tackled, which is interesting and people should think about, is what is the path for all these existing Ethereum apps right now that are struggling desperately under the cost of DeFi, uh, under the cost of transactions that are driven by DeFi, but that they don't, like, benefit from. Right. And and so if you're some somebody built a pilot or your ERP system or something like that and, and really took the plunge and built it on on Ethereum um, and, you know, and now you're seeing these huge prices for transactions. I think those people are going to have, you know, a year or two to wait and, th- and thinking about, you know, like this, you know, like the like the COVID vaccine. Thinking about, hey, there's a vaccine. We don't need to wear masks anymore. That's just not the that's just not the case, right? And so these guys are going to have to find a solution. Um, and I think there's there's a few, you know, for we've we've pushed one on on Telos called Telos EVM, which is an Ethereum virtual machine where people can upload um, facility contracts. And those, you know, and these are not for DeFi. These are for people who are just running these sort of like siloed operations. I think there'll be a lot of things like that. And so this forked chain could be one of them.
1: Okay. I love it. Uh, Unless anybody has anything else to add, we'll, we'll wrap it up. Any last words on this topic? No? Going once? Great. So before before we kind of break off into our uh, awesome networking session, I kind of want to go around again and uh, have all of our speakers say where can we find you, where can we learn more about your projects, uh, starting with Austin, working our way to Douglas, Shaley, and Taylor. Um. So so where where
2: where can you find me, and and are my projects? Not in the um,
1: location, but like online. <laughs> yeah. So.
2: Um... I guess if you go to openrelay.xyz, we have contact information for me and my company. And, you know, if you want to know about Rivet, which is the Ethereum gateway that we run, that's at rivet.cloud. Um, and then, you know, I'll be around here. And then I'm also on a bunch of discords and telegrams and stuff like that, where you can
1: find me.
0: Awesome. Douglas? Uh, hey, I'm on uh, on Twitter at Douglas underscore horn. That's the easiest place to find me. Um, to learn more about Telos, uh, you can go to telos.net. And there's a, uh, there's a number of things, sub pages there, like our governance engine deci- tell us decide, or tell us EVM that I just mentioned, things like that. Lots of, lots of docs and stuff they can find at tellus.net
1: Awesome. And Shaylee?
3: Yep. Um, ping me on LinkedIn um, or Twitter at Shaylee a, just DM me or, you know, email me through the consensus email. All
1: right. Cool. Taylor?
4: The best place for Um, day-to-day, our product is MyCrypto, but do not go to mycrypto.com, go to beta.mycrypto.com because it's super sweet and it has multi-account support and some DeFi stuff and uh, it's just way, way, way better. So beta.mycrypto.com and then Twitter is at mycrypto or if you really want to get into the weeds on all of this stuff, uh, my personal Twitter is tayvano underscore. But I will link all this in the chat because
1: oh. screw that username. <laughs> and cheers, everyone. One last cheers. Thank you so much for being on Blockchain and Booze. And before I let everyone go, oh, you finished it. All right. Before I let everyone go, uh, we have our amazing networking session right now where I'm going to end presentation mode and all of us, we're going to distribute to these colorful table, tables Excuse me, and we'll be able to bounce around from chair to chair and meet people from all over the world that are watching this right now live with us. So, uh, yes, Crispin, tables. (laughs) Um, So without further ado, make sure you have your cameras on. Make sure you have your microphones on. Otherwise, you're going to be extremely confused. So cameras on, microphones on. Everyone, thank you again so much. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.
0: This has been a production of Industry Pods in association with Evergreen Podcasts Network. Hear this and other Industry Pods at evergreenpodcasts.com,
1: your favorite podcast app, or listen at industrypods.com for your number one virtual conference podcast experience.